just a sidebar. Ooh, it's kind of loud. Um, I've owned some websites, apologetic websites, and some of them that are not sacramental liturgical are always love to use the call no man father in relationship to sacramental churches that call their priest, and in some cases with the Orthodox Church, even uh, their deacons' fathers. And yet, the, I was laughing, we've talked about this in seminary, that I said, well, I said, you know, it's kind of strange that you want to go with call no man father, but I was raised at Fourth Avenue Baptist Church in Birmingham, and every year we would always invite Mister, which is a form of master, is also the scripture is called no man, master, father, or teacher, father, master, or teacher. I said it was amazing that we would always, every year in the fall, when we were going to change out our, our children, were able, when school started, they would also move up to an, a, a higher age group in church, and we would always have the superintendent, which would probably be Mr. Smith, would like to honor last year's teachers and and welcome our new teachers and I said I think the deal is you just hung up on thinking somebody called Catholic is using the word father and then and then uh, you know and then I didn't even know until I was studying for this week that that that, that in Philemon he's not only he, he I'm his he's my son and I'm his father well obviously he wasn't his physical father natural father he was his spiritual father and, uh, and that's not to, do, to even have an argumentative point, but it's just to recognize how the kingdom and the government and the, how God wants to minister, he, his ministry, Christ's ministry, there's only one ministry in his Christ, how he wants to minister through his body and that there be special people with special anointing, some for service, like a deacon, and, and others for, for priests that... People say, well, you don't have to confess to a man. And it's true as that he is. Christ still said, peace be with you, whoever sends you here. And, and retain or retain, and whoever you release or released. And, 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 and all. I said, well, you know, it's true. But I said, but it's funny how if you take a verse that you would never associate it to confession. I said, well, what do you think he meant? Maybe, as one of many things, is that faith comes by hearing. Not I've, I read somewhere that Christ would forgive me of my sins, so I'm going to go directly to him to, and ask him to forgive my sins, knowing full well he will. But have you ever decided that Jesus knows a better way and he wants you to hear that audible voice? I've, I spent years prior to being in a sacramental worship where I would confess the same sin over and over and over, even if I hadn't committed it again, because I never could get it into me that I was really forgiven. But I've never had uh, Christ's forgiveness and absolution given to me by an audible voice that I ever wondered whether I was forgiven after that. And you know who else also hears it? Satan. <laughs> And he knows you're forgiven. So anyway, that's just a sidebar. But today, I'm going to be preaching from our gospel reading, which was Luke 14, starting with verse 20, um, 25. And it's interesting that churches today...
treat Christianity like it's to be sold on the open market. And we'll, I'll, I'll wind up where I started at the end. But they're, selling, they're trying to sell low-cost Christianity. You may have a guy that's, and we won't name names, it's not important because Christ is using a ton of people to bring people to Christ. But their sermons may sound more like a um, Jesus' version of a self-help program. Or Jesus' way for you to get a piece of the American pie. Especially if you might be given to their ministry. They, they'll start telling you how all these promises, what, what return you'll get on your investment. Some of them will be talking about how you're going to have favor with people. How God sees people. How, how you should be more positive in life. Be positive. That, 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 that things that are true as, as no weapon formed against you should prosper are as true as they can be. And then at the end, we like to always give people an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus Lord is your Savior, to pray this prayer with me. The little sinner's prayer. We believe if you prayed that prayer, you were born again, find you a great church to go worship in, and that's it. And so today Jesus is going down there and he's walking with a group of people. He's got a pretty hot ministry going on now. Turn water to wine, casting out demons, healing everybody, blind eyes see, dead people being raised. And so they're following. I wouldn't even say they're, they're, they're followers. They're not followers in terms that they're committing themselves to. They're following this thing. They want to see what's going on. When stuff was going on down in Brownsville or in Toronto, people are going to see to what's going on. And so this is what I mean by following. And Jesus knew, knows the heart by the, you know, he's living life fully as man, but never not God. But only doing what the Father, who he clothed with his own humanity, wants to do. And he's getting words of knowledge. He has a sense of everybody's following him one day. And he's walking down the road and he's sensing and just stops and says, and, and, he, and, he, reads, and he goes through that scripture and says, now there were great multitudes. If you can imagine it, we, at some point in time we were part of that multitude with him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father mother wife children brothers sisters yes and even his own life cannot be my disciple now how does that compare to a christianity which is which is which is selling christianity at a discount price and i've been in i've been broken in lumber longer than i've been in ministry by good good ways and I would, I've always worked in trying to have niches. I started out brokering lumber, trying to sell retail lumber yards like anybody. And I couldn't figure out why at 21 years old, I couldn't get an order. Couldn't even get close. Had people laughing at me. There was a nice Jewish family that owns a place. I think they probably got one here called Marvin's, called Alfred Cohn. And he'd say, boy, you're not even close. And one time I think I made like $120 on a load and he gave me an order and I thought I had nailed that guy. I mean, maybe, and, and it may have been a $7,000 load of lumber and I made $120 on it. So. But, we, but what would happen, so I said, well, I'm getting out of this. I missed an order one time for 25 cents. Now, a load of lumber, as a rule, has 20 to 24,000 board feet on it. And... I didn't lose it by 25 cents a thousand. 
I missed the whole order by 25 cents total on the whole truck. And I slammed my phone down and I went back to the president of the company. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not calling another retail lumber purchaser ever again. I don't know how that sits with you because I'm going to tell you there's two reasons. My time's more valuable than that. I'm not going to work this hard for free. Thirdly, whether you believe it or not, there are no retail lumber owners, buyers, or purchasing agents ever going to be in heaven. They're all going somewhere else. <laughs> you can't treat people like they treat people. So I said, I'm going another direction. And, and there was an, an, an older gentleman that had come out of a different industry and was good. And he recognized that we were going to have to change directions. And he already had it. It was called, selling, called industrial sales, which you go to sell lumber to people for crating, packaging manufacturing moldings, picture frames, pull down stairways, anything but something to be resold. Which, by the way, you got a, a newspaper every Monday morning called Random Links telling you what you should be paying for it. And your customers that are buying from you get the same newspaper you do. <laughs> and, um, and so I went off in that direction, selling low-grade lumber, lumber that would not make grade enough to make construction grade, and started selling it and low-grade plywood and started getting some orders because the market got much, competition got thinner. You didn't have as many people quoting, so I quoted that and for a while and then, then, then we started, we could take a two-inch piece of lumber and we could cut it, resaw, what we call resaw it right down the middle and make an inexpensive one-inch piece of lumber that was way, way less expensive than buying three-quarter inch boards. And then we could cut it to certain widths, certain lengths, precision, trim it, so it's just ready to use at the end of an assembly. And that's called value added. But every time you would get a new niche going, as soon as you got two or three or four or five or six people in it, the prices started dropping. The profit margins went down. And this my last little niche I've been in over the last eight or nine years is, is I've been selling recycled lumber that like comes in with automotive parts from Europe and Asia. And there's not that many people in it. And if you find a stack of wood and you're selling it and you're selling it all, nobody else gets it. So you've got no competition. So God's been very, very, very gracious. Well, this is good <laughs> in the open marketplace if you can find your niche. But sadly, the body of Christ is trying to find their niche on selling Christ and salvation and eternal life. And what used to be very structured and holy, I went to the Greek food festival in Montgomery last weekend, and, and I just, even though I've done it, I don't know how many times, I would still love to take the tour of their worship space with a priest and hear his, his story. And he was, he was explaining, he said, you know, we want you when you come here to feel like you're leaving the world or entering a special place. He said, you know, we live sort of a penitential life. We, we, we fast often. And if you'll even listen to our music, which were chants going on, he said, you know, there's not very many notes. And he said, but did you, did you notice how beautiful it is? But it's very simple. It's, it, it, it's not to be complicated. It's not to be particularly entertaining. It's to glorify God. And going from that to now, we've got smoke machines blowing smoke across the floor. Somebody coming out like a big movie star or, 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 or something, the plays I've seen on Broadway. Great music. 
And I mean, I, and I was really happy when contemporary Christian music caught up with secular Christian music because it was kind of like, boy, it's not very good. And then all of a sudden it started getting real good. Even the beat, the sound, the instruments. Well, what, what were they doing? They're starting getting closer and closer to the world. Well, that's kind of what's happened. But here, Jesus, is, is, he says, you can't be my disciple. The early disciple, I mean, the early church, what did they expect to Go to a bless me party, stop and get a. You think they get a? They or did they stop in a place and get a latte before they got made into torches by Nero? I don't think so. They expected to die for their faith. Goodness gracious, not turn into an entertainment center. Now the church is. Um, well, like I said, I've already talked about it, but it's starting to look like more like Broadway than it is in Jerusalem. Uh, and. And then, but he looks around and he sees what's happening. And these people, I mean, people want to know whether you're from the Middle East or like people want to go and see. They, when they see something working, they want to be hanging around. And Jesus is working. Everything he does, it's working. But there again, they were thinking that they, they could tag on, could they maybe be entertained for a while? Maybe they were just thinking, hmm, should I be his follower? And Jesus is going to intercept them because he knows there is some place in there and there is a, a line drawn right here and said, I will follow him this far, then no more. When I was a young child, and I, as far as I know, I've always been a Christian, but I was baptized when I was nine years old. And I knew where my level was real early in the game. I ain't going out and giving anybody my testimony. <laughs> Man, I'm not going to get a nine-year-old get start getting laughed at, beat up. Plus, find out what could you say by the time you're nine. Let me give you my testimony. Well, I got spanking, so I guess I was bad. Jesus said he died for those things I got spankings for, too, so I don't have to. And here I am, a new creature in Christ. I don't know what in Christ means, but I'm one. I've been told I'm one. End of my testimony. Man, don't you know that just have people crawling down with tears in their eyes wanting to give their life to Jesus when... And one thing for sure, you're a new candidate for a new employee if you get born again in an evangelical church too. Because, buddy, here they are. They were, they're born again about an hour and a half. And they've assigned them to some kind of Sunday school class or working in the kitchen. They're going to put you to work as soon as you get there. You ain't got to know much. Just keep a heartbeat and say you know Jesus. But, you know. but um Anyway, but, but, but like I said, Jesus is, is concerned about this. And, uh, and, and so there's another thing that's strange. Do you know that the word, I, I, I had to start out and say, what's the difference? Well, is a Christian a disciple? Is a disciple a Christian? Are they two different things? And one thing for sure, and I'll give you, I'll rush ahead and say, I guess ultimately, there to be the same thing. But they only use the word Christian three times in the New Testament and the word disciple 281 times. So are we called to be a Christian? Should we even, even, to, even to this day to try to explain yourself by your being a Christian? Or the fact is, well, I'm a disciple of Christ. Okay. And so... Um, 
So like I said, then we get people to, in the Department of Creation, like I said, like that show said, you pray this one, one price. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you call yourself a Christian. But one thing about this Christian life, and, and, and I read this through some Orthodox writings, it says, and I'll just write, let me just read what I wrote down. It said, Christianity is faith in Christ, or more accurately, being faithful to Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who manifested himself as the eternal God in the flesh, the salvation of all humanity through his incarnation, through his death and resurrection. Now, what I loved about Orthodox apologetics is they tell you right on the front end I'm not about to give you a logical reason why you should be a Christian. You can try to hit me with logic but I can tell you right now there's nothing logical about a guy that was a spirit becoming flesh. There's nothing logical about dying to give life. There's nothing logical about accepting something that I can't prove and putting my total trust in him as my Lord and Savior and, my, and that I will live for me. I got no explanation. And so, according to Paul, here's what he said in the end. Here's what Paul said. The assurance that, that well, excuse me, he, I, well, we don't know as Paul it was written in Hebrew, but one thing we know for sure that whatever we're believing in is, is this faith we have is the assurance of things that are hidden from us and that don't make sense and reasonable but we accept it. The evidence of things hoped for that we're accepting something we can't prove and, and, and that yet we've been told it's a title deed to life itself. Christian discipleship, like I said, the Christian term was used three times in the New Testament. Disciple was used 281 times. So what is a disciple? Well, Matthew 4.19 best describes what one is. Jesus says the simple words to, his, to guys that are going to be to his disciples. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the first part, come to follow me. Who's one, one who follows Jesus? If we follow someone that we want to disciple like, which we, we're going to be mentored, we, we want to be made like him. To follow one means we put aside our agenda. The disciple puts, puts away their former lives. And it means to submit to Christ. Number two, I will make you disciple. I will make you disciples. And that is someone being changed by Jesus. When we submit to Christ, we are changed by Jesus. We change our directions. We change our actions. We change our beliefs. And then Jesus is active in this change too. It's not you reading a book about Jesus and changing yourself through self-help. We are filled with his very life. And like he said, then we are start to, to we're the Christian life, as Major Ian Thomas used to say, it was the life he lived then, lived now, by us, by the person of the Holy Spirit. 
that he came to earth, he became incarnate, he received a body the first time God had flesh for one simple reason, not that you would ever see Jesus. He clothed the Father's humanity with his flesh and he lived like man and then he could say stuff like that. What I, it's the Father in me that doeth the works. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm not initiated one thing since I've been here. When my father wants to spit and rub it in a guy's eyes, I spit and I rub it in guy's eyes. When he wants to walk on water, I walk on water. If he wants to cook fish on the beach and ask one guy if he loves him three times, that's what I do. If he wants to sit on the sermon, let's preach a sermon on the mount, that's what I do. The life, and then Paul called it like this. He said, I'm now, and then what's he, then, then the, well, let, let me, let me, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Then he called us to be, um, like I said, Jesus is active in our change, but the, the Holy Spirit lives in us to will and do the works of Christ. Transformation is a cooperative work between us and our mentor, Jesus. Thirdly, he called us to be fishers of men. The disciples are now engaged in the mission of Christ. They left what they did. You're not longer a tax collector. You're not a fisherman anymore. You're whatever your, your mentor is. They followed Jesus. They totally gave up their life. They use this word throughout the whole Bible. Jesus speaks and they immediately respond. So they're engaged, actively engaged in the ministry of Jesus. We were not transformed to create our own mission, but to be equipped and taught to live like our teacher. So we don't have our own church. I think Father Glenn put something in the first week with it, Beecher Bonhoeffer talk, that we're not, that we're not called into ministry to build a church. We're pray, we pray for a church to come to us that we can minister to them and to make them live. It's not, it's not an entrepreneurship. Church life is not an entrepreneurship. It's Christ's ministry. It's his mission. Luke 6, 40 said, A disciple, and this is one that, here's where we, where we also take on our mentor's behavior. Luke 6, 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. An example here is a, Uh, in John 12, 47, Jesus said, And if anyone hears my voice or words, or hears my words, and does not believe, I do not judge him. This is the key sentence in the scripture. It's not about hearing his words and being transformed. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. John 8, 15 says, You judge according to your flesh, I judge no one. So the rules of discipleships have not changed. So what does that mean? If Jesus isn't judging, we're not judging. If Jesus isn't critical, we're not critical. If Jesus isn't hateful, we're not hateful. If, if Jesus isn't demanding his own way, we don't demand our own way. Jesus never really had a selling point. He just explained to people what the kingdom of God looked like. He... he he proved it. He said, if you don't believe what I'm saying, do, do believe it because of my works. But, and hopefully people will see the works of Christ 
through us because he said we even more than he he would work through us and and in the worst he did we would do more with persecutions by the way <laughs> um so we, we are to, to, to let him live his life through him or his life through us. But we don't do one thing. Do you see what you're seeing here? Jesus says, I never speak one word till I hear from the Father. I, I'll just go ahead and say, I'll, be the, I'll, I'll volunteer to be first place as chief of sinners of speaking before I hear Jesus speak to me and, and not speaking just the words I hear him say. And I want to be better at it. Which means that I need to do a whole lot more dying and getting on the cross like Paul said he did. Uh, the, and like I said, the rules of discipleship have not changed. Uh, verses 20, and back, going back to Luke 14, verses 25 and 26, it says, We, we are part of the multitudes, what I wrote down, or, or we're lookers on. We probably have in the past, have had a line that we've drawn, in the sand and we would tell Jesus I'll go this far and no more we all have done it verse 27 is, is it must be a prophetic statement because Jesus I don't even know if he's even explained to his disciples yet that he must die go to Jerusalem and die but it, but it says here Jesus says in verse 27 Jesus speaks of bearing a cross that he then that it speaks of bearing a cross that we are to take up our cross. Well, there again, like anything else in, in ministry, there, there's only one church, there's only one priest. Everything's Christ's ministry. So Christ has already given them a heads up that I'm going to take, I'm, I'm I'm take up my cross and you're going to take up our cross because, it, it, like I said, is, is the servant any better than the master? And can the head of the body be crucified without the body participating in that same crucifixion. Paul told it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dead, but I'm alive, but I'm, I'm, I'm alive, I'm dead, but I'm living, but I'm, I'm dead, but I'm living, but, I, but I'm really dead, but I'm living, and the life I live now it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And he also went on to say in Colossians, now this one was hard to figure because being a, a good, solid evangelical who never talked about heaven, not having time or space, we, we were locked in on that cross. Actually, we would put three crosses up. I guess they like to invite the two thieves to the party every time. But they would put the, but this, but Paul says, knowing that, that heaven doesn't till in, till in time and space, that Christ was crucified, it says in Revelations, from the foundation of the world, that he was crucified, he's being crucified, he shall be crucified. The Red Sea split, it's being split, it shall be split. There, he's just always the I am. There's no past and future. There's just the I am. And now we're dying and we're becoming part of his body. So Paul says here, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Colossians 1.24 I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Reckon when I was, didn't get taught a little bit about that. I'd go like, I'd either go like, that's about the most confusing scripture I've ever read. At best, I'd go like, 
dang, Paul's a heretic. We know that there was a completed work on the cross. What's he mean he's entering into Jesus? He, he's trying to add to what Jesus is crucifixion. And he says, uh, in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. But what Paul is recognizing is now he's part of the body of the Christ. And if, and if the head is still absorbing pain, saving people, healing people, taking away their pain, then sometimes he asks us as his body to enter into his suffering. And Paul says, I gladly enter into his suffering for the body of church. I want to die daily. That Christ, literally what he's saying is, so Christ can die again or continually die in me because I'm the only Jesus that's got skin on him now. It's his body. We're the incarnate body of Christ. He's sitting seated on the right hand of the Father. And so that's what disciples do. They do what the person that disciples him to. You, you become Christ. You, he owns you. He called it being a bond servant. I, I'm his slave and I volunteered to do it. I volunteered to forget my old life. I forgot. I volunteered to not to forget who I was in the Judean church as, as a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. I died to all that so I can be a servant of Christ. There's been many things. I was reading this week about Alonzo's uh, Gonzaga whose father was a, a, a leader in, in the Medici family in um, Florence, Italy. And he wanted to either make him a military leader, but somewhere in the hierarchy and royalty in Italy. And he just couldn't do it, even as a child. He finally did everything. He was obedient to his father, but he also would go over to the, to the, to the uh, monastery and talk to priests. And finally, one day, he said, Dad, I've tried it. I've tried it. And finally, in like 1523, his father agreed to let him go into the monastery. He found it so much more fulfilling to have his time alone with Christ where he could talk to the king of the universe than he would in any kind of secular or, or worldly royalties and stuff. He was the richest man on earth. And sadly, the plague died. He, he made, and that's why he's kind of the, the patron saint of, of young people. He died at 23. The, he died with, with the plague. But, uh, and then you got uh, Father Padre Pio, who had just a tremendous, very, very charismatic ministry. Um, that he had, he was called, he, he felt like at five years old, he wanted to serve the Lord. He, he just thought the Capuchin monks were, that, they were his superstars. That's the life he wanted. And he literally wouldn't make eye contact when he went into his team. He would not make no eye contact or spend time with the young lady because he didn't even want to be swayed toward maybe the desire of having a wife and family. He wanted to be Christ. And so that's what God's called us to. That's the Christian life. That's the life as a discipleship. And like I said, we've all drawn lines in the sand. And I guess we have to really continue to reassess. Do we want to be all? Do we want Christ to be all in all? But do we want to be his all in all? Do we want to die daily? Do we find sheer joy of participating in his life? Do we wake up in the morning totally excited seeing what Christ himself is going to do through your mortal body, through people you meet. Or have, now most of us are pretty far along in our careers, but now would it be a job? Would it, would it be a desire of having a family? Would it be what is keeping you from wanting to give all, everything to Christ? And, um, and what I guess, I guess the final question was like, if he's wanting to make us fishers of men, and that must be a 
pretty important thing because leaving in the Great Commission, go throughout the world, baptize the Holy Spirit, teach and observe all things I've taught you to do. And behold, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Because why? He knows you can't live the life he lived. Live now by him without him. Only Christ can live this life. But he's promised to take up residence in you. And if you will absolutely die to yourself, you can be his disciples. But we don't look, need to look at it as a form of punishment, although it could be suffering. Because getting to suffer for Christ is the most joyous thing you could do for those who want to live for Christ. And this was just in a movie, but it was one of the greatest lines. It was in the movie Beckett when, when King, uh, the king, I guess it was Peter II, was going to take his buddy, who was really a philandering archdeacon at one time, and was going to make him, he was going to break from Rome, or not get his next bishop of Canterbury from, let Rome appoint He appointed him as king. And he was going to put his best friend in as king, and that way he'd have access to the funds. And, 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 and Richard uh, Burton played Beckett. And so he was already an archdeacon. He had served archbishop. So he was already... So then when he was going to be consecrated, before he was being consecrated a bishop, he went to the church and brought in the poor and divested himself of all of his worldly goods. And I remember him, that he was with a little monk and giving stuff away. And, 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 he, and it says he gave something to the poor, something probably very, very expensive. Probably maybe even something you, we had seen earlier in the movie is having a special affinity. He liked it. It was a special. And he said, oh, if you knew the joy of what I was doing today. And when he was anointed with that oil, the Holy, he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that um, he really basically was killed by Peter II because Peter II lost his best friend to Christ. He was killed because of jealousy, not for disobedience to the king. And so I guess that's what we do. Would, would we give up the riches of this world our desires, our goals, our dreams, even something not as simple but is very important to us, would we give up our time? Would we work tired for Jesus? Because sometimes I can look like the most spiritual guy in the world. Then I get tired. I want to go be like, okay, I've been spiritual enough. I want to go sit down and kick back and watch ESPN. But, but I guess that's what I'm saying is, is I'm not here, I'm just here to teach what I think. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to convict or anything, and I imagine most of you are great. But, but the thing is, if we're really going to find life, are we truly, truly willing to die? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah.